Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It is a very dangerous method of upholding reform to violate the law in so doing, even on the ground of high moral principle or of saving the public. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Before we bring you today's performance of Mr. President, let's get a little philosophical on the subject of character in our presidents. You know, all American boys, and little girls too perhaps, grow up with the idea that they might be presidents someday. And why not? Our presidents have come from every environment. Rich and aristocratic, like Washington. Poor and self-educated, like Lincoln. They've been farmers and lawyers, warriors and school teachers. Teddy Roosevelt was bluff and hearty. Wilson was a quiet, scholarly type. But what one quality did they have that made them presidential material? Personality? A sense of responsibility? Think about it. Could you be a Jackson or a Monroe? Well, let's learn more about it now by listening to today's story of Mr. President. And now see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. It was a cold day in Washington, a day filled with ice and sleet. But it was inauguration day. 
There was warm joy in the heart of the new president and his first lady as they rode in the official coach and four after the ceremony. Oh, oh, my dear, I always said it would be a cold day when I got to be president <laughs> of the United States, and so it is. <laughs> oh, nonsense. You're as proud as punch, and so am I, Mr. President. Of course I am. But I do have to look around when somebody says, Mr. President, to see who he's talking to. <laughs> oh, I think this drive is the proudest and happiest event of the day. Imagine us driving down through the Capitol grounds and now on Pennsylvania Avenue on our way to the White House. Oh, it still seems almost unbelievable. You know, Nellie, I pinch myself every little while to make myself realize it's all true. I still feel just a bit like a fish out of water. <laughs> and I feel very daring. After all, never before has the president's wife ridden back to the White House with him from the inaugural. Well, since the ex-president decided not to ride with me, I, I'm very glad you decided to break the president. In fact, my dear, I think I prefer you. You're prettier. <laughs> You're very sweet. Did you know the children were in the Senate gallery listening intently to your inaugural address? No. They sat through it all? Even Charlie? Even Charlie. Because <laughs> he wasn't taking any chances. No. He did bring a copy of Treasure Island with him. But I must say he didn't open it once. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> that is the perfect gesture. <laughs> uh, it must have been a very good speech. Oh, of course it was. I was very proud of you. Thank you, my dear. You know, this isn't going to be an easy job. It will have its full share of headaches and heartaches, but with you at my side, well, they'll be easier to bear. I'll always be at your side, dear. And I know you'll be a good president. Well, I'm certainly going to try. I'm going to make good all my campaign promises, too. I'm going to get a lower tariff and a balanced budget conservation of our natural resources and... Uh... How about the campaign promise you made to me? Uh, Hmm? What's that? To take off about 20 pounds. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'll keep that one, too. I'll exercise like mad. And you'll cut down on food. But I like food. Speaking of weight, my dear, you promised me you'd gain some. Well, I'll try to keep that promise, too, Mr. President. Who, me? Oh, there I go again. I'm forgetting it. <laughs> You know, Nellie, for once in more than 20 years of public service, I may be able to save a little money on this job. Oh, you're not becoming mercenary, I hope. Oh, no, no, I hope not, but I'm getting on in years. I have to think about providing for my family for a change. I do think it was fine of them to raise the salary to 75000 And only fair. I'll have to spend at least 50000 of it, and it should be a citizen's right to earn a little more than he needs to live on. Well, I'm sure we'll manage, Mr. President. Is he here again... Oh, good heavens, that's me, isn't it? Well, I'll just have to get used to the sound of it, that's all. <laughs> you sent for me, Mr. President? Yeah, I did, Mr. Parker. I'm glad to see you. Won't you sit down? Well, thank you. I believe you'll find our national forests in good order, sir. Yes, thanks to your abilities as Chief Forester. Mr. Parker, you know more about conservation than almost any man in the country today. But, my dear fellow, you're not a lawyer, and I'm afraid you're quite willing to camp outside the law to accomplish your beneficent purposes. 
I don't understand. What do you mean by such a remark? Well, my attention has been called to the matter in which you've had licenses for electric power transmission through the national forest. I think I've done a most competent job with my authority on licenses. I cannot agree with you. Your licensing authority is given you purely as a safety measure to guard against fires. Have you confined it to that? Well, I had an opportunity to save the people money. Is that bad? No. None of it's an opportunity within the law. But my dear Parker, I can't let you use your licensing authority as a club to force electric companies to charge what you consider proper rates. When reforms are needed, I believe in doing something about them. And so do I. But not by usurping power which is not rightfully mine. If we get into the habit of working outside the law for reforms, what is to prevent others from working outside the law for evil? I have had no complaints on my practice. The companies have fallen in line. Perhaps. But I've had many complaints about it. For that reason, I've submitted the entire question to the Attorney General. He's given me an adverse ruling on your practice. Therefore, you will please drop it. Don't you want the people to have lower electric rates? And emphatically, but not by illegal methods. There's a proper channel for decisions on rates. Very well, Mr. President, if that is your decision. Good day. Good day. How do you do, Mr. Parker? How do you do? I was just leaving, madam. Good day. Mr. President. What is this? Have you been crying? Oh, I can't help it. Everything's gone wrong. What's the trouble? It's my dress. It looks all right to me. Oh, not this one. Have you forgotten that the inaugural ball is only a few hours away? Oh, good heavens, that's right. Uh, Well, how does your new dress look? Well, it hasn't arrived. What? I had it made in New York, you know, and the dressmaker promised me faithfully to be here on time, and it isn't. I just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Can't you wear something else? To the inaugural ball? Hmm? Why, I, I don't have a thing to wear. That's very bad. Uh, have you tried telegraphing New York? Yes, and they assure me it should be here, but it isn't. Now, what am I going to do? Well, keep calm, my dear. Keep calm and borrow a gown from somebody if you have to. Oh, I hate to do that. Mr. President, mm-hmm. what are you nibbling? Oh, just a few bonbons. Somebody left in the study here. Mm. Oh, and I know who that somebody was. Didn't you promise me you'd take off 20 pounds? Well, I intend to. I'm, I'm going to play, play golf later in the week. Yes, and you're going to stop eating between meals right now. Oh, but it's a long time till dinner, my dear. I'm hungry. Well, you wait till dinner. Why, you're developing a bay window, a real corporation. Oh, goodness me, does everybody have a grudge against corporations around here? No. Well, I must see if the gowns arrived yet. Oh, I'm waiting for one of my new cabinet officers to arrive. Well, don't forget, you have to get dressed, too. Well, I won't, I won't. Nobody will notice what I'm wearing. Archie! Yes, Mr. President? Has the secretary arrived yet? He just got here, sir. Well, fine, will you have him come in? Yes, sir. President will see you now, sir. Thank you, Captain. How are you, Mr. President? I'm very well, Mr. Vallot, and you? Not bad. What with the blizzard and all. Well, I appreciate your dropping in so promptly in spite of the storm. First of all, let me say I'm delighted to have you in my cabinet. I appreciate the honor of being your Secretary of the Interior. Of course, I was reluctant to leave my private practice again. I know, I know. I had to send out my most eloquent persuaders before I could get you to accept the post. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Ballin... I saw what you did with the land office in my predecessor's service. You found it a chaos, and you left it an efficient and admirably conducted office. It was my job, sir. Yes, and an important one, too. Our soil, our forests, our water sites, our coal, we have to save for the nation's future. 
We'll need our resources uh, for agriculture and industry and for protection against possible enemies many generations from now. I'm with you wholeheartedly in every particular, sir. I know you are, and that's why I'm glad to have you handling this department, Mr. Secretary. But there's one item. And what is that? Let's do things within the law. The former secretary and some of his associates, uh, yourself accepted, of course, didn't always follow that rule. I know the temptation when you figure your cause is right and the end justifiable to be contemptuous of the means. But I firmly believe we run the risk of worse evils when we go beyond our limited powers under law. I'm a lawyer myself, sir, and in perfect accord with your approach. Good. I know that I can count on you. Indeed you can, Mr. President. Thank you, and good day, sir. Good day. Goodbye, Archie. Goodbye, Mr. Ballard. <sighs> oh, Archie. Uh, yes, Mr. President? Uh, is it time for us to get dressed for the ball? I think it is, sir. Oh, it's arrived, dear. What? The day is saved. What's arrived? What? Oh, <clears throat> the new gown. My, my, don't we look elegant. Uh, it's white satin. <laughs> and see the goldenrod pattern? Uh, see it. I can feel my hay fever coming on already. <laughs> oh, I'm so relieved that the messenger got here with it. He was delayed by the blizzard. Hmm? Does fit well, doesn't it? Oh, perfectly, perfectly. And may I say, madam, that you're very beautiful and that I am a very lucky man. Thank you. I think the country is lucky to have you for a president. But I'm even luckier to have you for a husband. Mr. President, have you seen this magazine article? No, I haven't had much time for magazines in these last few months, Archie. What is it? It's a vicious editorial attack on the Department of the Interior, sir. Hmm? Let me see that. The Corrigans are reaching out for Alaska coal deposits estimated as being worth $3.5 billion or more. We must deplore the reckless immorality with which the head of a great department is willing to work against the interests of the people whom he is supposed to represent. <laughs> the president, good-natured and trustful, has been outrageously misled. Why, this is monstrous. Can there be any truth in what they say? Well, of course not. I have every confidence in Mr. Ballard's integrity. But what's behind this? What motive can they have for smearing an honest administration? I think you'll find that in the article on the next page, the one by Louis George. Who is Louis George? A special agent in the general land officer. Well, let me see what he says. Are the Corrigans in charge of the Department of the Interior? The Alaska coal lands are in danger in Ballard's hands. Valuable Alaska coal lands are the objective of a larcenous conspiracy. Secretary Ballard has aided the conspirators and proved that the interior officers are not safe in his hands. Why, this is fantastic. How can any government agent make a charge like that against his superior? And why does he make it in the press instead of coming to me? I don't know, sir. But I certainly hope the charges are entirely unfounded. Of course they are. But whether true or false, these charges will continue making the rounds. The opposition press will be only too happy to seize on it and make capital of it. Well, let them make capital all they can. I'll investigate this and prove it's a lie. But in the meantime, sir, it'll do a great deal of harm to your administration, to the party itself. There's nothing that can be done about that, I'm afraid. There's one thing that may do it. What's that? Ask the secretary for his resignation. Are you serious, Archie? 
I hardly expected a suggestion like this from my trusted aide. It may sound like a harsh move, sir, but if it's for the common good, I'm in favor of it. I see. So you think it would be political wisdom to let Ballard out? I sincerely do, sir. Well, I don't think I'll be politically wise. I don't think any ends justified despicable means. And I don't intend to desert a man just because he's under attack. Certainly not until I've given him a chance to explain the entire matter. But any delay, sir, plays into the enemy's hands. Archie, there's such a thing as justice, and I hope I never get so fond of this job that I forget it. Have Mr. Ballard come to see me as soon as possible. We'll have no verdicts until all the evidence is in. just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Do you take your basic rights and freedoms for granted? Many of us do, for we think we can't ever lose them. Well, that trend of thinking is dangerous. For history has proved that people start to lose their freedom the moment they think it forever secure. That's why we must all work at keeping our American heritage of freedom. To win against the totalitarian idea, Americans must become more aware of their citizenship. Today, many nations of the world are standing at the crossroads between free government and dictatorship. But those who still aspire to freedom look to the United States as an example. Therefore, what Americans do during the troubled months ahead can greatly influence the decision the war-exhausted peoples will make. As a good citizen, work to defend your individual liberties. Do this by taking an active part in the affairs of your community and in fulfilling at all times the duties of American citizenship. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Well, have you figured out who the president was when these events were taking place? They really did happen, you know. The attacks on the Department of the Interior grew like wildfire in the press from the moment of the publication of the magazine article. Meanwhile, the President and the Secretary of the Interior were in serious conference on the charges. Believe me, Mr. President, I was just as amazed and agitated by the article as you are. Mr. Ballard, I believe in you, but I'd like to have all the facts. Why these charges against you? What about these Corrigan coal land grants in Alaska? Well, seven years ago, Corrigan went into the Alaska wastes and discovered coal deposits. On behalf of himself and the syndicate of friends, he staked out some claims. Did he file notices of location on his claims? Yes, he did, and his group paid the treasury for them. I see. Then he acted legally, and his claims were approved. Yes, I myself was commissioner of the land office at the time, and after investigation by my agents, I approved the claims. What did the agent Lewis George have to do with this matter? He came to me with charges that the Corrigan claims were fraudulent, and I ordered him to take charge of the investigation. Later, all other agents and I decided the Corrigan petitions were legal. I telegraphed word to George, ordering final approval given to the Corrigan Group. Did George protest his approval? He did, and though I thought it without foundation, I immediately rescinded approval of the claims. They remained in that status for over a year. Meanwhile, I resigned as land commissioner. When I came back to Washington as Secretary of the Interior, there was a demand for some action on the long-delayed Alaska matters. Was George given every opportunity to give evidence? He was, sir. He countered with delays, evasions, and hints of corruption, but he offered no shred of proof. After months of these delays, the assistant secretary decided that justice required a prompt, clear title to the lands. At this point, George went to Parker, 
Chief of the National Forest Service, charging official misconduct against myself and the land commissioner. And wrote that scandalous article for the magazine. And I'm sorry to hear Parker has sided with George. You have documentary proof of everything on the Corrigan case? I've brought it along, Mr. President. I see. You'll find there's not the slightest evidence of fraud on anyone's part. You'll also find that these coal lands aren't worth a fraction of what Parker and George claim they are. Mr. Ballard, I believe you've acted in an honest and upright manner. I'll study all of this evidence tonight and go, to go over it with the Attorney General. I'll await your decision. Thank you. Good day, Mr. President. Good day. President, I must see you at once. You are seeing me, Mr. Parker. Sit down. I am told that you have ordered the dismissal of Lewis George from government service. That is correct, sir. By what right, sir, do you discharge the most vigorous defender of the people's interests? By what right, Mr. Parker, do you question my right to order the dismissal of any government employee who is unfit for service? I beg your pardon, but that young man is not unfit. He is as deeply interested in conservation as I am. And as I am, and as Ballard is. The Attorney General and I have examined documents furnished both by Mr. Ballard and Mr. George. Mr. George, we discovered, has charged the Secretary and the Assistant Secretary and the Land Commissioner with aiding the Corrigan Group to secure claims that are fraudulent and unlawful. That is my contention, too. For your information, Mr. Parker, the Attorney General and I found no evidence to sustain Mr. George's attack. When a subordinate in a government office makes a charge against his chief based upon mere suspicion... It makes it impossible for that subordinate to continue in the service of the government. I say an injustice was done to George. And I say a much graver injustice was done to Ballard and the others. Mr. President, I begin to wonder if you're as interested in conservation as you profess to be. I resent your remarks, sir. Conservation was no real issue in this matter? I believe it is. And I think it is the duty of those who would conserve the national resources to withhold all valuable coal lands from exploitation. Mr. Parker, this particular land was legally granted. It is not as valuable to the government as you suppose. I'm inclined to, uh, inclined to doubt that any Alaska coal land will ever be of great value to the government. I beg to differ. As you choose. Time will say who is right. The point is that the Corrigans are entitled to the property for which this government received favor. That, Mr. President, is a reactionary attitude. We have a government of limited powers under the Constitution, sir. We've got to work out our problems on the basis of law. Now, if that's reactionary, then I'm a reactionary. By your own admission, sir. Mr. Parker, I get impatient at criticism by men who don't know what the law is, who haven't looked it up, but who ascribe all sorts of motives to those who live within it. Now, Mr. Parker, actually you and I and Ballard have the same interests in conservation. We merely have different methods in achieving it. Won't you try to get together with Ballard? Never, sir. I can never work with him. And departmental jealousy rather than conservation is the root of all this, hmm? My duty is clear. I must ask you, sir, for your resignation. And you may have it, sir. I will take this to the people. Good day, Mr. President. Oh, oh a little trip like this down the Potomac will do you good, Mr. President. You've been working much too hard. And so have you, my dear. I'm afraid your duties at the White House have been pretty strenuous. You both need a little relaxation. Yes, Archie. I want to visit Mount Vernon. 
and not have to worry for a while about how many unexpected guests to expect for lunch and a dinner. <laughs> well, I, for one, will be glad to get away from newspapers and scandalous charges for a change. Did you read that blast from Watterson's paper in Louisville? Read it? <laughs> Archie, I'll carry the memory of that blast with me to my dying day. And I quote now, For the first time in the history of the country, a president of the United States has openly proclaimed himself the friend of thieves and the enemy of honest men. Vitriolic, sir, but you'll remember that I anticipated it. I'm not the only one who suggested that Secretary Ballard may prove a political burden. Archie, if I were to turn Ballard out in view of his innocence and of the conspiracy against him, I'd be a white-livered skunk. I don't care how it affects my administration. Well, now that Mr. Ballard has demanded a congressional investigation into the charges against him, I'm sure he'll be completely exonerated. And so am I. Even if Parker and the magazine have hired a pair of high-priced lawyers to represent Lewis George as a witness against Ballard. Nellie, what do you say <gasps> if I... She's fainted, sir. What's the trouble? I'll see if there's any brandy aboard. Yeah, but, uh, darling, what's wrong? Archie, Archie. Yes, sir? Have the captain turn the yacht back to the wharf. I think, I think she suffered a stroke. How is she today, sir? Oh, she doesn't walk or talk. Archie, I... I don't know what's going to happen to her. Oh, she'll pull through, Mr. President. She'll be all right. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Archie, I don't think I could bear it if if anything happened. What do the doctors say? Well, they're not certain. The symptoms indicate paralysis, but they're hoping it may be a nervous hysteria, not actual paralysis. God grant they're right. You don't want to be disturbed with business matters, Mr. President. Yes, I do, or I'll go out of my mind with worry. What about the investigation of Secretary Ballard? It's in progress, isn't it? Yes, sir. Charges of delinquency in office have already been preferred by Parker and George against the secretary. So far, they've been unable to substantiate any charges of corruption. Ah, of course not. What have the attorneys brought out on the delinquency in office? They've claimed he's been an enemy of the policy of conservation. No real evidence yet. Uh, there won't be any, I'm sure. One point brought out was a little disturbing. Mm-hmm. What was that? The fact that Ballard did some work for the Corrigan interests after he left the land office and before he became secretary. Work for which he received a fee of $250. Ballard accepted money from Corrigan? Yes, sir. I'm afraid it looks rather bad. Oh, but wait a minute, Archie. That explains it, don't you see? Explains what, sir? It explains why he refused to rule on the validity of their claims when he became secretary. Because of his small service to them, he disqualified himself to rule in the government matter. Let's hope the committee realizes that. It's possible that the investigation may come to an end soon. They've heard most of the testimony. Well, then I should hear from Ballard soon. Heaven knows I should get some good news about something. I... Oh, I'll get it, sir. Thank you. She wants to see the president. Oh, of course. Right away. What is it, Archie? What is it? The doctor says she wants to see you, sir. Does that mean she, she can talk? Let's hurry, Archie. Let's hurry. Yes, sir. Oh, my dear, my dear. You are better, aren't you? Of course I am. The doctors say I have the constitution of a buffalo. <laughs> See? I can talk. Oh, I'm so grateful, my dear. And you're going to get better quickly. 
You're going to have a long vacation, and you'll be walking and dancing and chattering like mad before you know it. <laughs> How you do carry on. Oh, my dear, you mean so much to me. If I could only tell you what's in my heart, I... I know, dear, and I love you very much. She must rest now. Hmm? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, I'll be back, Nellie, very soon, my dear, very soon. Look, it's Mr. Ballard. Oh, wonderful. I'm glad to see you, Ballard. And I'm glad to see you, Mr. President. How is she? Oh, improved, improved. She's talking. But tell me, what about the investigation? It's all over. The committee exonerated me. Ah, that's splendid news. Congratulations. And may I offer mine, too, Mr. Ballard? Thank you. It's been a source of great strength to me, Mr. President, that you've stood by me in the midst of these attacks. Well, somebody has to stand by a man when he's being unjustly accused. The committee could have saved a lot of time and money by taking my word for it. Ballard, you and I will continue to do a job for the nation. An honest job within the limits of the law. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. When the greatest story ever told was first presented on ABC, the sponsor decided the commercials for his product be eliminated, that a simple mention of the name was sufficient identification. Now, this was the first time the sponsor of a major program series had decided to devote full airtime to the program itself. And the reason for this move was made clear. Of such unusual and dramatic material was the greatest story ever told that a commercial message would have interfered with the public service purpose of the series. Don't miss this truly great program. The greatest story ever told. It's heard today and every Sunday over most of these same ABC stations. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. What are you thinking about, Mr. President? I'm thinking, my dear, what a lucky man I am. You're on the mend now, walking about and talking. <laughs> you may regret that talking when I chatter your ears <laughs> off. <laughs> you don't know what music it is to my ears. And Mr. Ballard's been completely vindicated, too. Oh, I think that's wonderful. Even if it's true that the fight with Parker may cost you re-election. I don't mind, my dear. I have you back, and that's, the re that's reward enough. Oh, I know that someday all Americans will realize, dear, what an honest, unselfish, and progressive president they had in William Howard Taft. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. The program is produced and directed by Dick Wallen. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President William Howard Taft. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. <laughs>